Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, I'm Imri, the host of the Wannabe Podcast, the podcast that takes you from where you are now to where you want to be in 30 minutes or less. Tomorrow is the very last day you can get an early bird ticket for just £5. And you will get a live recording of our monthly episodes, have your brand and marketing questions answered by brand and marketing expert, Friska Moyesa, of course. You'll walk away knowing how to use podcasting and video to build your brand, and you'll get our personal content timelines, templates, and worksheets so you can manage your social media and work full time. And we'll tell you how you can finally, finally, finally get paid for your ideas visit wannabelive.eventbrite.co.uk this is going to be the last day that you can get early bird tickets this week i'm joined by my mentor dr victoria shawami dr victoria is a lecturer in education at ucl's institute of education and maynooth university dr victoria's research interests include women women's development race and identity she has contributed to a number of books in 2017 including a chapter in feminist pedagogy, practice and activism, improving lives for girls and women. Her research has appeared in peer-reviewed journals, which include The Colour of Cloths, The Educational Strategies of the Black Middle Classes, Multiculturalism and Education, Racing to Class, Confronting Poverty and Race in Schools and the Classroom, and Ethnic, Gender and Class Intersections in British Women's Leadership Experiences. In today's episode, we talk about the reality of being the only professional black woman and the rejection that comes with it. We talk very openly about our experiences of trauma, white feminism and the damage of well-meaning white liberals in the workplace. Dr. Victoria shares her solution for how young black women can navigate professional spaces as the only one. I'll say this now. If you're the kind of person that winces or gets uncomfortable in discussions about race, you might as well just leave this episode the hell alone as it serves a very very specific need and if you have difficulty understanding or accepting that I'd rather you just hit stop right now because I do not have not one second for you following this outpouring of very real hurt and pain let's go I find the entitlement mindset uh it's such a fascinating one it's uh it's like a double-edged sword in a lot of ways because it gives people a false sense of confidence that probably have no right having. But at the same time, it gives you that confidence to just kind of almost blindly go into something with the expectation it's going to work out, which in a lot of ways is a very powerful way to go into something, that inherent confidence. Um, and I have a lot of sh- trouble with entitlement because I know that there are certain situations that I feel very entitled to. I'm a millennial. I feel like that's a common rhetoric around us and our generation is that we always just feel like we should get things for free we should get any we we have access to all of these things and we should just have it um but yeah I find it a really tricky a tricky mindset to navigate especially because it's so uh the level the playing field's not leveled so how do you then have this kind of entitled mindset but you're facing rejection you get to London and people are kind of saying yeah but that's because you're black so then you're finding your blackness as a limitation in a way that you probably wouldn't have articulated it yourself. So how do you then 
navigate that? And, and that's an interesting question because that toppled with white arrogance is what I had. <laughs> so I had the notion of white arrogance mm. and I can name it now. And I had the notion of entitlement. Mm-hmm. But it was, but within me, what people then needed to understand that I'm a really nice person. Yeah. But if you're faced with that and you're coming from where I've come from, and I also had an extremely posh accent at the time, <laughs> and uh, which didn't help. Yeah. So, you know, so it was, and also what I wore was, um, I would say... Were you like a tweed... I did wear George things like Perth, that. That kind of polos, stuff. I did, and I felt quite fine with that. Sweaters. Liberties. Yeah. Liberties type stuff. Um, very kind of gypsy type skirt, like the wear now, kind of gypsy type. We say it's all indie. Yeah. I'd wear that type of stuff um, very much so kind of wear what I wanted to wear, do my hair if I wanted to hair, do Indiana type scenario. Didn't have any worries about it. Yeah. And of course people would say, you dress really white. Yeah. But to me it was, I dress how I want because I feel okay to dress how I want. Yeah. I didn't wear tights. I still don't wear tights. What? My mum would just be like, what are you doing? Absolutely. But I didn't, and if I go out, sometimes I'd go out my Wellingtons on. I'd go out my Wellingtons on. Why would I? Why would I go out my Wellingtons? Well, sometimes I'd go to a club, and I remember going to my first club in London and um, with some friends. And I got to know a lot of different people, and I remember going, hanging out with a load of guys, and um, and I went to a club, and I remember the first time I spoke, you know, we got into this club and said, Jesus, why is it so dark in here? They say, Victoria, just keep quiet. But it's so dark in here. I can't see anything, for goodness sake. <laughs> and of course, I've been going to discos. You yeah. see, so I've gone where there's lights. In black clubs, <laughs> there's no light. It's a kind of more of a kind of a more subdued kind of aspect. So I was thinking, and what's that smell, for goodness sake? I don't know what the smell is. She was saying, keep your voice down, girl. You know, keep your voice down. But that was my first experience. I said, I don't understand all of this, you know. What's going on in this place? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and of course, you know, and the people, the, the, the guys I'd hang out with at the time, we'd go to clubbing and everything, they didn't see me as being, um, what's the word? I wasn't being malicious or anything like that. Yeah. I was being kind of, whoa. Fish out of water. Absolutely. Yeah. I was thinking, oh my God, look at this. <laughs> Everything's a novelty. Absolutely. I was thinking, oh my God, looking around. And I'd go to clubs and I'd I'd wear a pair of um, cycling shorts. What? I'd wear a pair of cycling shorts. I'm honestly trying to picture And a little little top. I'd look really, really kind of, I I can say it now because I don't really see, you know, attractiveness and things like that. But people would say, whoa, she looked really attractive. So I went there so I'm going to dance. I'm going to have fun. And and, and some of my friends are all lawyers and everything else. We'd go together and everything else and have fun. But they knew we were going to have fun. I wasn't somebody who was standing there thinking at the edge of the thing, just tapping my toes. I'd be having fun, I'd be dancing, all this kind of stuff. And, and people would be standing there thinking, oh, my hair. Like, really? Let's get a life. You know, we're going to, for me, I'm going to a club to have fun, to dance. Yeah. I didn't understand the concept you're going to a club to stand on the edge. And yeah, just look pretty. And just look pretty. I yeah. thought, why am I wasting my time? Yeah. To do? So that, that was something, I suppose that's my personality, and that's a big thing I've had to navigate as I learned the notion of blackness, because I had to learn blackness. Yeah. I mean, it kind of sounds similar to those, <laughs> you know, those kind of migrant stories of, uh, tr- like, traditionally when, uh, well, I guess it's mostly West Africans that I know, but when they come to, like, the UK for the first time, or they, come to, or they go to America for the first time, they realise that they're black, right? 
So I mean, it kind of sounds like you got to London and then you're like, oh, I'm black. Like, yeah. I but I knew it was yes. But you knew, but, yes. you know, having like that label and, and using that using yeah. that word yeah. and what that what it comes with and what it's loaded with yeah. and all of the fun connotations that people like to attach to it. It sounds like it was quite a fun experience, though, for you to kind of learn with it, or was it not? Because, I mean, you, you say you're kind of, like, navigating these spaces, you're there some, learning there some, some new times. stuff. Yeah. When people... I'd go into a conference, which is a, a black conference. I'd always go to black conferences. But there was a black women's conference I went back a few year, quite a few years ago, in the late 90s. And, um, and it was all black women's conference, and I was so excited to go to it. You had to be selected and everything else. And um, it stopped, is it? No. Oh, yeah, it had to be. You had to be selected to go. And I remember putting my hand up, you know, and saying something, and the whole room went quiet like a pin. And I was thinking, why is it all gone quiet? They thought there's a white person in the room. And I was thinking, <laughs> and I was thinking. So I just carried on talking, and um, and there were times I'd go out with people and got to know them, and they'd invite me to their house, and you know, we'd chat and everything else. And they, they weren't from the same background as myself, which is okay. But they would, they, I didn't get what they were talking... I didn't get it. Mm. And so they turned their back on me. Oh, interesting. They literally, in a conversation, turned their back on me. That was hard. Yeah. Because I didn't understand. Because I, I simplistically thought, you're black, I'm black. We share the same kind of... Mm. We share something together. But no, it was... You don't know what it's like to be black. Yeah. Okay. But they, what they didn't know is I was I experienced a direct ex- racism. I would say London is a sophisticated notion of racism. No one would do things they do to me where I lived, where they wouldn't do that in London. Yeah, is it that kind of institutionalized versus that really overt racism? Oh, like calling you names of stripping you to the waist. Yeah, all that type of stuff. Yeah. That's... But you wouldn't have that here. It's because this is more sophisticated. Yeah. And I think sophisticated Londoners wouldn't know how to live in live in the country. I, I'd be inclined <laughs> to agree. I've been to the countryside. I mean, it wasn't awful. I was every time I've gone to the countryside, um, my friends who live there would always say, you know, just just remember you're coming to the countryside. People aren't used to seeing black people here. So, you know, you might just hear some things or someone might say something to you. Just be prepared for that. Um, And I always found it like a really funny concept. Um, And actually, for the most part, people were pretty cool when I went. Uh, One guy who did rock up to me once, he was like, let me guess. And he just pointed his finger in my face, like very directly and very, like way too close. And he was like, let me guess, Ghana. And I was like... No, <laughs> I'm from this London. Um, I was born in Luton, and I gave him that whole spiel. He's like, "No, but where are you really from?" And that's when you get into that weird, that dip is like, you don't see me as one of you or no. as British. I'm not British to you. I'm from somewhere else, Absolutely. and that is a direct result because what you see says other Absolutely. instead of British. And so yeah, there is a very like nefarious undertone. But in a lot of ways, I can relate to your story because I have been treated as other but my family has always been like super pro black and it's always been like it's all black everything but my mum always had different aspirations she's um there's a phrase for it my friend uses but I can't remember what it is now of this like this kind of poor but well-to-do black woman who has (laughs) has goals and dreams way beyond her station and her her means and she'll buy antiques and she'll talk very poshly in certain circles and she'll 
want to send her children to the finest of universities. Of like she knows, she's the kind of black woman that knows what Durham means to the elite. No, most people don't know what Durham yes. means, funnily enough, and I'm actually okay with that. Um, but she knows. She's of like, course. no, that that's where that's where they send their children. You will go to one of those universities. You will go to this sixth form because that's where they send their children. And so there's that kind of this coded language, this kind of way of being. Yeah. Like you said with the hotel management, which is something I didn't know, is that if you don't know the language of, I guess, kind of a certain class of white people, yeah. to be fair, you actually will find it very hard to navigate in their spaces as you come up for your career. I know what Durham, what doors Durham opens for me and send. I get access to places that I didn't even know I wouldn't get access to. You don't know what doors are being closed to you if you don't go to certain universities because you'll never even get, you won't even hear from them in the first place. So there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of that that I think is lacking when people in that turning their back on you is because just because my black isn't your black doesn't mean that it's less valid. Just because I speak differently doesn't mean make it less valid. And it is really hard to navigate. I've definitely, I can definitely like relate to (laughs) some of that. Um, probably less harshly, more like in that weird, sophisticated yeah, style. Kind of, yeah, um, you know, of people just kind of like you didn't grow up in a council state. I mean, I, I did briefly, but yes, but they my still spit, was very they still spit at you the same they spit as me. Yeah, because because when you walk on the street, they just see you as black. Yeah, exactly. So they don't know you're black and you're rich or you're black and you're poor. You're just black and they just spit at you either way. Yeah. So they, <laughs> there's, there's no difference. No, absolutely. Oh, but so, hang on a moment. I'm doctor. They don't care. You know, you just spit at you just the same way. Yeah. yeah. It is yeah. a really, really tough, um, a tough thing to navigate for sure. Yeah. yeah. It is. It is. And it's, um, it's something I'm reflecting on. I'm writing about more and more. Yeah. Um, which I think is important because I realise that people want to hear about what I've got to say because it helps, it, it kind of assists other people when they get entangled with something. Mm-hmm. I think, God, and I was talking to a young girl, um, she came to one of the, I think she came to the event last year, I yeah. think, and um, she had my phone number and she rang me and we were chatting away and everything else and I was walking the dog, I always walk the dog. Yeah. And it was late at night, can I talk? Of course she can talk to me, we were chatting away. And I realised that she was, she was in the process of a meltdown. Mm. literally and I thought now how do I do that what do I do with this with this young woman who's on the phone so I was I was breathing with her we were breathing together I said take a deep breath let's actually just just slow you down and slow you down and we did that for about 20 minutes and she said oh Victoria I'm so pleased thank you so much there's nothing to thank me about anyway about three weeks later she contacted me because I thought I can't get too involved I don't know what's going on yeah and and it was you know it was a whole range of different things and she contacted me she said she was in hospital But I knew that's where she was going to end up. And she said, look, I still remember what you did with me. And I thank you so much. And she was 23. Oh, wow. And that's what I worry about our black girls. She's 23. And she just, and she's at a top university. And she just felt, she just couldn't breathe. She just felt that she couldn't breathe anymore. Mm. And it was just, everything was just too much. And I was saying to her, and I said to her, look, any time. But, you know, you. And the thing is, what they do with our girls is they put them straight on the medication. Mm-hmm. She didn't need medication. She just needed to go, relax, perhaps go back to where her parents have come from, yeah. sit in the sun, have some free time, and just take that time. But we talked, and she and she, I haven't spoken to her for a while, but she, for her to reach out to me, I appreciated that. Mm-hmm. But also, she appreciated the fact that I was able to just talk with her mm-hmm. at the time. But I, I worried about it all night. But I thought, I can't get involved because yeah. I don't know what the whole scenario is. And I'm not a counsellor. Yeah. But I'm able to just work with her and breathe with her. 
But that's just an example. And I think that's an example of the pressure that I think it's one of the issues where I'm exploring more and more with young black women. Mm-hmm. And their and within that how they suffer in silence. Yeah. Because that oh, resilience, because they their resilience has to be so like this. And most of the ones I'm talking to, of course there's others, but the ones I'm talking to at this present moment are ones which are achievers. And they're going into university or they're in university or they're in top levels at school. And it's those ones which are suffering in the most silence because no one's really looking at them. Mm-hmm. Because they think you're achieving. Yeah. And because you're achieving, just keep going on that pathway. Just keep doing that. Even though you've got anxiety attacks, you've got panic attacks, you've got depression, you've got eating disorders... You've got a whole range of different things, but no one's really worrying too much until it gets out of sync. And that's the bit I'm really, really interested in. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty much how, how we got chatting anyway, because in a lot of ways at the Black Women's Conference, I actually did not prepare <laughs> to be so, um, I guess, emotionally vulnerable in that moment. Um, but it just spilled out in this yeah. very, like, here is a room full of women who will understand exactly what I'm talking about right now. Um, and just thinking about that time was still very like emotionally charged because it was such a hard time and I still think back to some of those really like it's so hard to articulate the the burden and the pressure to be the only one the first one um, and yeah it's, it's, it's really really tough and I really do appreciate um, you like stepping forward and saying like let's talk and you have been like a massive rock um, in the times that we do catch up. Yeah. Um, and I know that when you, you did speak at our festival, like so many people contacted me like, who was that woman at the <laughs> beginning? I need to know her name. And I was just like, hey, it's Dr. Victoria Shawley. Like, you need to go contact yeah. her. And so, yeah, I definitely, I think it's very, the work is important. It's necessary it and it's needed because I, I think you're right to have it to have it out in the world so someone can look at it and be like, one, you're actually not by yourself in this situation yeah. is so important. Just to know that someone else has experienced what I'm experiencing um, is useful. Just just the awareness is, is important. And I guess what is the solution though? Because we're still in this very like, how do we how do we then go from being black women who are achieving and trying to like make ground so that the next like we're going after legacy I guess like I I look at like the high achievers like myself I'm going after a legacy of I'm trying to make something here that's so that the next person doesn't have to have it so hard and that that pressure I guess is somewhat (laughs) self-inflicted but I think I think before you get to that step I think we need to I, I think we need to have space to acknowledge the pain mm mm-hmm Acknowledge the pain that 14-year-olds are having, mm. 15-year-olds are having, 13-year-olds are having. Right up to, you know, let's say if we say from the spectrum of 14 to 30, we have to acknowledge that pain first and allow ourselves to have that time mm-hmm. before we start saying, okay, what's the legacy? Because I think what's, if, we, if we're not careful, we go straight to the solution and we haven't actually had time to acknowledge the fact that as women, as young women, young women are reaching out. And to do that, they need their mothers if they've got a mother. No, I didn't have a mother. Yes, I had an adopted white mother. Um, but they need their mothers, they need their family, they need people who are going to hear, I can't do this today. Not, of course you can do this. Yeah. If I can do it, you can do it. Yeah. And I think that 
when I was at the House of Commons talking about that, I mean, that was 2013. Yeah. Because of so many things that have gone on in my life, I'm now picking it back up again. I think that's the first, one of the steps. I know there's other steps, but this is one of the first steps. I think that we, as our own, as black women, mm-hmm. need to acknowledge that our girls, and when I say girls, you know, your sisters, your, mm-hmm. you know, we need to acknowledge that our girls are needing the space to be able to say, I'm not, I'm not coping today. Not, you're strong, you need to do this. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And whether you're 13, I think about my 13-year-old, and I'm saying to her certain things. I don't ever see my youngest, my little daughter, cry. Hardly ever. She may have a few tears. Even in elite sport, she might get hurt. But her white friends are crying crumbled in seconds. Her Asian friends might cry as well, but she don't have to cry. Yeah. And I say to her, it's okay. You can cry. But then she doesn't see a mother who cries. Yeah. Now, I may cry in silent. I may have some tears in silence and reach out. But I don't do that much because I'm, I'm a single parent. Yeah. So I, there's not a space for me to show my vulnerability. There could be times, of course, there's going to be times where there's an element of vulnerability. But it's, I think we need our... I think our young black girls need to have the space to be vulnerable mm. without feeling that that's going to be used against them. Because the, the last thing they need is a white do-gooder. There, there, there. It's so, you know, don't worry about, you know, it's, we'll, we'll look up. And then they keep that in their pocket. And then somewhere down the line, they're thinking, hang on a moment, they now used it for their advantage or they've used it against them. Yeah. And I think that's the bit that our girls learn. And so it's, you keep it together. And you learn that. And I think, so I think that's the first bit. And once you, once we start to have some spaces, whether it's spaces like here, where we set up a forum, where we set up whatever, where people know it's okay to kick your shoes off, have some popcorn and just chill. And no one's going to say six months later, oh, so, and they, and they keep chasing you for it. No, it's, you just did that for then. You know that you can come back if you want to. You know the people are there, but you're able to just let it go. And, and I think that's what we need. Um, as a starting point that's so powerful I've never even thought about that the not today I've I've started to try and implement that for myself this whole idea of no I'm tired I'm just tired I can't I'm not going to be any use to anyone because I'm tired 
Um, and it took a really long time to even just get to that place mentally of being like, actually, I'm not going to do that right now. Um, actually, you need to give me some more time to get to that. Um, this is not a convenient time for me to do X, Y, and Z because I have the hardest time saying no. Um, something in me just doesn't like to it's disappoint. Like just you. Yeah, and it is, it's really hard, but you're so right in that we need the space and the time to one, just be vulnerable, be like, I'm going to cry today because that's just how I feel. Um, this was really hard and I need to acknowledge that it was really hard. Um, or I just came out of something that was really difficult and uh, you were really great after the festival like you just did this marathon take some time and I was ready to just get back on it again and it was like the best thing I did do was for that three weeks I just really didn't do anything um, and it, it single-handedly helped me I was able to rebuild Mo kind of cohesively and coherently because I think I was just kind of we need to fix this we need to do this we need to do that and it just wasn't working um, so yeah you're right I think it when it is applied and it's applied well, it does work. And there's just not enough access to that information Absolutely. for us, for and, sure. And, and, and also what's happening at the present moment, which again is problematic, is that we're, black women are now being the sources for research. So they now want to research us. <laughs> they all want to talk to black women. They all want to know what's going on. And I'm talking about white research and it drives me nuts when they talk about feminism. And mm. I'm there interrupting their notion, and I'm, there's, I'm saying to them, "You need to, you need to include black women." Oh yeah, but, 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 no. Do you see me as a woman? Yes, Victoria. But we're going to do race later. No, I didn't ask you that. I'm saying, do you see me as a woman? Mm. Silence. I am a woman, whether you want to hear it or not. So you need to include me in your statistics, please. Yeah. So. And I go to high-powered meetings, and the first thing they they look at me, think, "Oh my God, Victoria is going to ask that question." You, you have to interrupt their whiteness and you have to interrupt their understanding that I am a woman. And because they find that so fundamentally difficult yeah. to think that we're women, because they think that's their space. And because they got in bed with the black men, because it was, they needed to have the black men to side with them for feminism, to be able to have the women's movement, even though the women's movement was around hundreds of years before they did it. But because of that, that's why they find we are something they could just, they just want to get rid of that space because mm. that's, it's, we're taking up their space. Yeah. Mm. We're women, but they don't want, they don't want to deal with us. They, they want, don't. They want that space. I find white feminism to be in, intensely frustrating to deal with. Um, and I, I feel like uh, the more I grow in this space and the more I start to navigate this field, especially in podcasting, it's still relatively new it's somewhat uncharted territory for a lot of people especially here in the UK there's so it's like a land grab right now like every company is trying to get in on it and so I guess to some degree we're somewhat incumbent so we we always get asked and yes. I get defaulted to as as, as, a, as an expert in the space to a degree but I found that um I there is one <laughs> there's a white woman that I've had to it started off friendly when I was in my lane. Let's put it that way. When I first, my first show was called Melon and Millennials. It was very much like it was unapologetically black, if you will. It was very political. We <coughs> were very headfirst, very headstrong. It was almost to the point where we could have been ignorant, but who cares? Like we're saying what we're saying, and you're just gonna have to deal with that. And if we're wrong, we'll apologize later. Um, and it what like 
white wh- like we had white people fawning over this show like all of these white feminists just came out and were like oh this is fantastic what you're doing we love this show um just like how how black it is kind of they might as well have just said that we just love how black this thing is um because that's what was implied and when we were in that space it was like yes you can you can operate in this lane we like you here we like that mm-hmm. and then I decided doing this show which is Wannabe and I, I speak to a, a whole host of women there's black women white women Asian women the occasional man pops up here and there but this show it, it does it, it's not direct, it's not overtly racial it's not a racialized show it's mostly about women and I found that like my show I guess was too close to the white woman who was too, who was celebrating that because all of a sudden she wasn't as willing to help me out anymore the emails weren't being returned uh, imitations would be declined where it was like oh I'd absolutely love to be involved before it's now oh actually something's in my diary mm-hmm. something's come up I can't do that mm-hmm. um, and all of these like odd insecurities that I would never have expected and I was like wow this is like a night and day as soon as it I, I entered what you deem to be your space, That's space that I, I I'm now like no I I can't deal with you and I I didn't think I actually thought to a degree like no it can't be like it can't be like that and I would never have expected it so that was kind of a bit of a surprise I think it was really obvious like it was almost immediate that switch over and I was like "Mm, you only liked me when I was when I was comfortably not in your in your space and you can't you can't see that there's room for both you don't see that you don't see me here it's all of it yeah so it's, um, yeah, I that was eye-opening. Every, I see it every day. Yeah. Because I'm in the house, because I grew up in the house. Yeah. I can see it 10 miles away. Mm. Absolutely. And and my friends who have got to know me would say, oh, Victoria, you don't understand what it's like to be black. Hang on a moment. You have no idea what I see on what I'm actually navigating with. Yeah. You say you don't know, I don't know what it's like to be black what do you mean I don't know what it's like? Of course I know what it's like to be black. Black all the time. <laughs> you know, what I may not know what it's like to be is living in a black area or living with your parents. I don't know that. But I do know what it's like to be black. Of course I do. But I said my biggest thing for me is being a woman. Mm. Being a woman and black, I think, is fundamentally harder than being a black male. Black male, yes, of course it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough because of the, the testosterone. It's going to be tough because of the aggression. It's going to be tough because of what's going on in society. But being a black woman, psychologically, you end up in a, in a mental home. Yeah. If you, you, you may be killed as well, but you end up in a mental home. Psychologically, you've lost your mind. Now, if you've lost your mind, I don't know what's, what it must be like. If you've lost your mind, you've got nothing else. That's it. So yeah. I think, don't tell me you don't know what it's like to be black because you didn't live in a black home. And I think that's the bit which people have to get over. But I do know what it's like. And maybe that's part of my entitlement and my white arrogance. Open up the window and say, come in here. That could be my Jewishness. Because my mother had everybody in the house. Yeah. Come into the house. Come in. Come in and sit down with me. Look, there's always food. There's always something to do. No problem. We work with... And I do that all the time with my, as an academic. People are always knocking on my door. Yeah. Always. People are always knocking on my door. People always want to do something. They always want to do X, Y, and Z. And um, that's okay. But what I don't like is that people can't understand me. And because they can't understand me, they think I've got an agenda. I've got no agenda. So you go into a space, you go into a university, they let you in to the university, and they think, yep, she's one of us. 
And all of a sudden, you, you know, you, you do what you need to do. And all of a sudden, you do what they're doing. And when you're doing what they're doing, which could be you've got contacts outside, you're doing stuff outside, you're doing a whole range of stuff, that's when they want to cut your legs off. Mm. You can't do that. Only whiteness does that. How can you do that? Oh, now we're going to ensure that we're going to do something about that. We're going to, we're going to cut your legs off. We're going to make sure we bring you back into what you need to be. You sit your ass back down there. That's it. You don't need to get involved with all those different things. That's not what you do. Mm. That's what we do. Oh, hang on a moment. You forget that I was brought up with whiteness. So to me, I should be out there networking. I'm, a, I'm the queen of networking. Do you know what I mean, <laughs> I mean I, if you want your university to be out there, I will make sure it's out there because yeah. I know how to network. But don't tell me that I can't do it because that's what I grew up with. Yeah. And, and I think those bits, people, they will find that very difficult. Yeah. They, ha- they put you in a box. And so anything that is outside of the box, they want to throw away the whole box. You're black. You're black. <laughs> yeah. What are you doing? Don't you know that you're black? Yes, but I, I, I find that we get, I get that from both sides. Uh, I don't know about you. I, I definitely get it from you get it from white people, well-meaning sometimes, white people, and then you get it from like black people. Like, what are you doing? How, how dare you be so audacious? <laughs> Who are you? Yeah, and funny enough, the one of the best advice I got was from the podcast, and it was from a, a guy. He was a matrix guy called Nathan Bryan, and he was just like, just be audacious, just do it so unapologetically. Be audacious Absolutely. always. Just take it because it's yours to take. And I think it is coming from with that level of entitlement because people are doing it. The money is freely flowing. Um, people are getting booked jobs. The BBC is handing out commissions like candy. And I'm just like, <coughs> how am I not even a factor? Like, how are we not even a part of this? You need to take some. But yeah, and it is about being bold enough to ask. Absolutely. And take it, yeah. what's yours. And it's, it's hard. But not on your knees. Do not take it on your knees. Take what's yours. How? Just, How? You just need to take what's yours. You need to put it into people's faces. The time, is, the time is right. My book will be there because I know my book will be a bestseller. I know that for a fact. I know what other people would like to have the book, but yeah. they won't have. They can't write the book which is mine because it's my story. And when people hear my story, they're going to cry. They're going to cry so much. And they're going to say, and they're going to understand how I navigated from the age of six months to where I'm at now. And they think, for how did how did you do that? You've done you've been homeless, you've been this, you've been that, you've been that. But at the same time, you've still you've still stood like a tree. I said, because you know what? It's about the spirit of life and you just you hold on. It's that, that thing. And I chant, I chant, and of course I'm a Christian, but I'm also chanting. Um so it's it's that. And I think let them take what they think. They can they can take everything of yours, but they can't take your ideas. Yeah. And that's the key thing. Yeah. F.A. says that often. He's like, I can give everyone my blueprint, but they can't execute it the way I'd execute it. Absolutely. So it's how you, it's all in the execution at the end of the day. And you don't have my creativity. Um, And there was a, I I think it was a Carla maybe, who was like, I've been studying white people my whole life, right? (laughs) Not as long as me. I grew up with them. Yeah. He was just like, there's something about being, even just any ethnic minority, really, in the UK, where you're, you're even if you grew up in the, in on the islands as well, you're you're studying whiteness, you're studying white history, British history, um, you're studying white people. You're always in their faces. I know your play. I know how you work. I know how you operate. I know how you move. I know 
everything about you. And the funny thing is, you're scared of me, and you should be, because I know everything about you, and you know nothing about me. Nothing. And you don't care to know. And that's why I can do what I do. It's why I can sometimes succeed. Honestly, this was one of the hardest edits I've had to make. There's so much that we had to unpack. And you'll get a lot more context about Dr. Victoria's life on Wednesday. If you're struggling with any of what we've discussed, please feel free to email Dr. Victoria. She's an incredible support and she's very open. Her details are in the show notes. Don't forget, Wannabe is going live for the very first time on June 2nd and it won't be any regular live show. Prisca and I have created an afternoon masterclass to help you level up your career, your finances and your brand. Tomorrow is the very last day to get £5 early bird tickets so you can head on over to wannabelive.eventbrite.co.uk. If you like how this podcast is made and you think that you can do what I do, then you need to reach out to the Shoutout Network. To find out more about membership, visit shoutoutnetwork.co.uk. Be sure to follow Wannabe on Twitter and Instagram at wannabepodcast. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes. I love seeing those. Or you can just hit the stars and leave a rating. Thank you so much for listening. See you on Wednesday. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.